But there should not be any question about when to do things. So before I put on any kind of slides up, I just want to give you like a broad brush. So I'd like you to, if you're taking notes, um, just kind of draw a circle and bust it in half. So we've got the first half, which starts with Pesach. You want me to put Hebrew names or English names? We're having extras. We're having extras. I speak techie and English. I'm bilingual. <laughs> Pesach, um, matzah, and uh, I don't want to put fruits in there. We'll still push out the lunch. And I guess I should put. Uh, What's what's your name for first fruits? Pickering. Pickering. So for those that need it, it's Passover. Unleavened bread. First fruits. And then So that's first half. And then second half, we come up with um, terroir, kippur, im, and sukkot, or Rosh Hashanah. Which is really the day of blowing. Um, day of atonement. Which is really a misnomer because it is Yom Hakipurim. It's the day of atonement. You get a lot of stuff being atoned for. And then you come with this cabinet. These are called the spring feasts. These are called the fall feasts. And they are also subcategorized. Which are three. So the idea is that in one half of the year, we've got Passover all the way down to Rosh Hashanah. In the other half of the year, we've got Rosh Hashanah all the way up to Passover. So when does the year begin? Passover. He pointed to Rosh Hashanah, and you said Passover. So tell me, since you're both right, why do you say it begins at Passover? God says so. I like that. Always works. The answer is either Yeshua or God says so. Why do you say Rosh Hashanah? Um, I think maybe more traditional from head of the year. Sort of it like means head of the year. Right. So, so um, 
I guess the Torah cycle starts then. The Torah cycle starts then. Kings are their king. Their reigns the reign start then. Yeah, coronations. Are um, so this was the third year of Hezekiah, the fourteenth year of Josiah. Whatever you know, that they start counting at the end of the year. How about the year of Shemitah, which we read about in Re'eh, this week's portion? When does it begin? The Shemitah year, once every seven years? It doesn't start at Pesach. In fact, nothing starts at Pesach except Pesach. <laughs> How many New Year's are there? We just went through two. There's like seven. There's like a new year for trees, when you, when you right. eat the fruit, only in the third year. Well, when do we start counting? Well, the trees don't fruit over here, they fruit in here in the spring, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a new year for cattle, there's a new year for trees, there's a new year for tithing, there's a new year for this, there's a new year for that. Yeah. Okay. So you notice, or you should notice, that in the sitter this morning when we're praying, you have to know what part of the year we're in. If you're in the first part of the year, from Rosh Hashanah to Pesach, you stick stuff in there. If you're between Pesach and Rosh Hashanah, you don't. So you need to know what time of year it is. Now we believe that the Master fulfilled all these feasts or festivals in his body, literally, in his first advent. And I personally believe that he will fulfill these in his person, visibly, at his second hand. Tell me about Passover. How do I know when it's Passover? 14th of Nisan. Hmm? It's the 14th of Nisan. It is the 14th of Nisan. How do I know when it's the 14th of Nisan? It's in the springtime. Look at a Hebrew calendar. You know that's really the right answer? Because according to the scripture, you as an individual are never commanded to know when Passover is. You are commanded what to do on Passover, but not when it is. Because the commandment to mark the new moon, make sure that it's in the springtime, and so forth, are all in the plural. Which everywhere else is talking to the leadership of Israel, not to the individual to the community as a whole, to bring unity. Um, if you could please bring up uh, scriptures this way. This way. This way. And bring oh, up okay. the bond. Yeah. <laughs> and then I want you to bring up uh, the Shema. Did I, did I? Does that need to be turned on? Yeah, we need to turn it on. I need to press the power button, I guess. Um, so, so the answer. So, remind me to buy your husband a new eraser. <laughs> Maybe I'm just using the wrong side. Give me a drink after. Maybe you have better ones in the states. <laughs> you know what to get him for Christmas. Oh. <laughs> is there anything wrong with Christmas? Well, it's, what's, the, what's the right question? Come on. I know you're new. 
Tell me. The right question? Yeah, what's the right question? If somebody says, you keep, you practice Christmas, you celebrate Christmas, what's the, what's the question? That I would respond to you in the question? Yeah. Remember the rabbinic method is always to answer a question with a question. Here's an example. Woman walks into a shop in Israel. Former rabbi is now painting. She looks at the paintings. She says, oh, these are beautiful. You're very talented. Which one's your favorite? The rabbi looks at her and says, are you married? The American woman, sorry, she's not Canadian. The American woman, <laughs> probably a different story if you were Canadian. So the American woman looks at him and she thinks to herself, I don't think he's got any business asking me whether I'm married or not. I just wonder about the paintings. But she decides to, to share. So she says, well, yes, I am. Why do you ask? He says, do you have any children? <laughs> Never the rabbi. Yes, I have three. He leans forward and says, which one's your favorite? <laughs> she got it. She got it. The rabbi never answered the question, but to ask more questions. This is the rabbinic method. Our master was a master at it. So, do you practice Christmas? Maybe the question would be, Okay, that's good. I find that to be more antagonistic, but you're taller than me, so I can understand. That would be a low-key rabbinic type response like the rabbi with the paintings. Me? Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't possibly what? be talking to me. Turn sideways. Do you practice Christmas? <laughs> and what happens? What happens when she says that? Drop the ball. She nope. dropped the ball. We could have had a conversation, throwing the ball back and forth. Right now. You keep you practice Christmas? Spikes! <laughs> but you don't! You lose! Why? Because now we don't have a, a discussion going. Do you practice Christmas? Should we ask why? Good. Better. Okay. Do you? Okay. So instead of asking and answering, you're just going to throw it back. <laughs> well, you know that. Could you say, like, um, well, do you know when Yeshua was born? Okay. That's good. Again, good husband. Pretty antagonistic again. Right? So, you know, I, I see you just kind of leaning in for the punch. You know, you're totally jacked. Right? But they're not wrong questions to ask. I just don't think they're best. And I think I could give you a better one. Are you practice? Good. Good? More low-key. What do you mean? Ah! So what do you mean by Christmas? <laughs> oh, you think it doesn't work? <laughs> do you mean that... Oh, sorry. Do you mean that I celebrate the birth of Yeshua? Okay, well now you're putting words in your mouth. And that's sort of leading the witness in, in legal terms. I don't want to do that. Badgering. You know what? The badger. <laughs> you know what I love to do? Make them squirm. I love making them squirm. Good asking. What is it you mean by Christmas? Okay. She 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 doesn't know. She's she's flustered already. I don't know. What do you mean? I, what? Christmas. 
But I want to hear her say, what do you mean by Christmas? You got gifts. You don't know. What do you mean by Christmas? Well, I guess the mean, I mean the birth of our Savior. Absolutely. If that's what it means, you bet I do. I noticed probably on our calendars that we celebrate it at different times, though. Why is it that you celebrate it in the dead of winter on a former pagan festival? <laughs> okay, so I'm not saying that we don't want to go in for the knockout punch, but I just don't think we should do it first. Let them set themselves and take the sucker punch, you know? Of course I celebrate the birth of Messiah. I mean, look, we started counting the calendar differently when he was born. Everybody does. Jew and Gentile. It's very important. You know, my favorite part of the scripture says that when he was born, this is John, know this, <laughs> that he became flesh and dwelt among us. God said that he had done it in the fullness of time. I like that. You know that word dwell? It's actually from a Hebrew word. We normally see it as tabernacle. Another word in Hebrew would be sukkot. Let me tell you, there's this celebration that God described called sukkot or tabernacles. Let me take it to you. It's, you know, there's a, there's a chapter in the Bible that gives you all the festivals, all in one chapter. It's unique in all the Bible. Leviticus, chapter 23. Let's flip to it together. Do you have your Bible? We'll flip to it. Let me show you all about chapter. You know, I really think, since we're dwelling with him as his command, to remember what he did for us, that maybe, just maybe, we should be considering that maybe God would cause his son to dwell among us while we got these boots hanging out anyway, <laughs> and we would be reminded of what he is doing for us. I just think that's a beautiful picture, don't you? Mm -hmm. Now, silly people want to eat Torah. It's easy to sucker punch those that are still practicing the visible expression of Christianity that they've come to accept. It's easy to sucker punch. But we want to get the dialogue going. Because if we just talk about it, they will understand. You're not making it up. Let them read it out of their own Bible. There's another chapter in the Bible that lists all of the feasts in a summarized forms, the way I used to have them circled. And that's actually in this week's portion, Re'e, Deuteronomy chapter 16, as they're summarized in Pesach, or unleavened bread, one week long, 50 days later, and we do count because they are connected to Shavuot, which reminds us of the first Shavuot. And then Sukkot, because that's what it's all about. The whole Bible, the whole 6,000 years in three festivals. You should be able to do it. It's your home. All right, so what did you give me here? No, you're just playing around. Peter's using uh, a product called uh, Accordance. It's available for free. It runs on the iPad. It also runs on the Mac, actually. It's coming out on the PC later this year. <laughs> <laughs> the product is 
free, you buy the books. They give you some free books. What I like about it is that I can highlight stuff and I can actually touch a word. Would you touch roar? And it highlights it and it gives me the Hebrew with the vowel markings. It gives me the definition as well as the part of speech. And it gives me all of the cool numbers that I could use to find it. If I get some of these buttons down here to amplify or highlight it, I can do some magic stuff. Um, Pete is showing you the Shema. How come I can't see my underscores? Uh, what underscores? The highlighting? Okay, there. Good. So, yep. oh, okay, yeah, that's the next one here. So this is the Shema. What's highlighted in yellow are all singular. These are singulars. You should be doing this. You personally shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and so on. You, you know the Shema, right? This is all singular. Go down to uh, 11. Um, the way you jump there, real quick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you can see it because of the great eraser we've got. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now, where you're seeing underscores in red, which Jordan really can't see, but she's going to make it look like she can see. Um, where you see these, these are plural. And I mean, if you're from the South. And if y'all will indeed <laughs> obey my commandments, and I command y'all today to love the Lord y'all's God and to serve him with all y'all's heart and with all y'all's soul, he will give the rain for your land. <clears throat> if that doesn't make you want to learn Hebrew and have a product like that so that you can do that, if you're not blessed by seeing the differences in the text, your blessing is broken. You should want to know that. But the Shema is divided up into stuff about you individually and us corporately. Salvation is one by one, but I tell you what, He saved a nation. And He will save a nation. And if you're not a part of that nation, you are not saved. Not it's scary. But it's true. There is no salvation apart from Israel. It's as simple as that. One would think that your expression of your faith, halakha, walking out your faith, should look somewhat biblical. Or maybe it'll look like the only people that have walked it out for 4,000 years. They happen to look, well, we call it Jewish. So if the expression of your faith tends to look Jewish, I think when somebody says, oh yeah, are you, have you converted to Judaism? Are you a Jew now? <laughs> I'm sorry. Does it, I guess it looks Jewish because they're the only ones who have actually been doing it. <laughs> I think you mean it looks biblical. Because as I've shared with you before, everything that I do should be found in the scriptures. And if it's not, I wish you'd bring it to my attention. And I'd be happy to do the same for you if you'd like. <laughs> All right, does everybody get that? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so we were talking about the calendar. You can close that and bring up that other thing. Bring it sideways. Red out. Well, that's the trade, so it's not going to work. Nope, that's not going to work. Okay. 
So here's the calendar in a nutshell. We start at Rosh Hashanah, and we walk through the fall feasts. It gets really cold. Hanukkah, Purim, the whole Esther thing. And then it starts to get warm again. And then we have, in the springtime, Passover, which is a moment in time. Passover is not a day. It's a moment in time. It's the time between the twilights when the 14th becomes the 15th. And that happens always at sundown. Now Passover is done, and at sundown on the 15th, we start the 15th, which starts the seven-day festival of unleavened bread. We should always be ended at an Italian restaurant with a lot of pasta. <laughs> That's actually what my family does. A lot of bread. It's cool. That's seven days long. The day after the Sabbath on the 15th, on the 16th, is the day of first fruits. Where that needs to be raised. We wait for first fruits to And then we can actually eat the crops from that year. Which we see in Joshua chapter 5. You can eat the crops from the land, but not until you've blessed God. So back to the plural singular deal. How do I know when it's the 14th of Nisan? How do I know that I'm supposed to bring that land? How do I know it's time to sacrifice that land? And after the blood's drained out of it, bring it home. Have you thought about that? Hmm. When you hear the word offering in church, you should think animal. We don't think animal. We think, I don't have any change. Offering means animal. So when you go to the temple for the Pesach offering, you're bringing the unblemished lamb. They got to check it. That didn't go so well sometimes. Wanted you to buy their lamb instead, use their money instead. The Lord got upset with that. Walk in there. Here's Shmuel the priest. He's on duty along with all of his family. And they're wearing what kind of garment? White linen. White linen. And got to have the uh, britches on so when they go up, nobody can <laughs> be modest. But they're covered with blood. The white linen is all covered with blood. Because... Who's going to slit the throat of the lamb? Priest. You are. Yeah. Not the priest. You are. He's just going to hold the cup. Here's the knife. Now, he throws the blood on the altar, on your behalf. Takes back his knife, probably Swiss Army or something like that. <laughs> They hang it up by the hooks. They slaughter it, hand you back the meat so you can go home and cook it. That's the pace I thought. So, what's the answer? How do I know when I'm supposed to do it? They're following the camel. Who's following the camel? I guess it's. Yeah. The nation well, of Israel, so the leadership of Israel yeah. will determine when that day is. Right. And basically, in a nutshell, they're going to do it by taking three or four witnesses 
and they're not people. One of the witnesses is whether or not the grain is, is red. The other one is the way the moon looks. The other one is how cold it is, the length of the day. And the Talmud goes through it. But if you're not into reading the Talmud, But it was never an individual's job to do this, ever, in all of Israel. Here's a a neat thing. You remember Jonathan and David? I'm pointing here. Why? That's the corner. That's where they are, right? They're in the corner. So Jonathan and David, these are buds. It's getting a little tough for Dave. Because Jonathan's father is getting a little, well, crazy. (laughs) Throwing spears, and I mean, it's, it's wild. So they're meeting out in the field to chat. David's thinking about running off. What does Jonathan say? You'll be missed. I mean, you can't leave now. Tonight's a new moon. Oh, John, how'd you know tonight's a new moon? We gotta go through that whole witness thing, looking at the moon and getting somebody to say, yeah, we got two of the guy. He knew that night. They're going to have a party. How many of you actually have roast crawfish parties? I didn't think so. I want to tell you, my kids have started doing that. Oh, oh, and it's, it's cool. They throw a party for roast crawfish. How many of you know what roast crawfish is? Okay, this is the head of the month, right? This is the new moon, right? Today's date is the third. Third month. 27th of there was equal 30. That's not true. That's not true. 27 to Bob. How many days are in a normal month? 30. If it's a deficient month, there's a few of those. You've got 29. If today's the 27th, did you notice the moon this morning? If today's the 27th, can you describe the moon to me? Is it waxing or waning? It's waning. It is waning. And it's almost waned. Yeah. I got just a little bit left. Why? Because on the 30th, I don't want to have any more moon. No moon. Which means I'm going to get a new moon the next day or the day after. But it can't go past 30 days. I think it's 29 days and off. It's all math. And it was never up to the individual. And it's never off by a couple of days. So we've got some folks today that are doing the sightings themselves, and they're doing a great job. God bless them. They want to be obedient. Does anybody want to fault somebody for being obedient? In the Torah movement, you can't do that, because that's what we're all about. They want to be obedient. And they're like, wait, calendar's wrong. The grain's not you know, ripe yet. I can tell. I'm standing in Jerusalem looking at it. It's not right. <clears throat> the grain's not the only thing that's looked at. Is many other witnesses. Now the interesting thing is that if the witnesses don't align, it's not like, oh, today's not the first of Nisan. It must be tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. If this day doesn't cut it, if the witnesses don't line up, we bump a month. So we're never off by a couple days. We're off by a month. We're going to add another month to the calendar, and instead of a dar, we're going to have an a dar two stuck in there. We'll always end with ah, but there'll be an a dar two. 
That's how it's done. Now, interestingly enough, the calendar that's being maligned of late or being calculated could be actually wrong. Could be. How wrong could it be? One or two days? No, it would be off by a whole month. Which means that the next year would be off by a whole month. Which means that the next year would be off by a whole month. Well, actually, it couldn't be more than one year because it would fix itself. Because you've got to be either off by a month or right on the money. The calendar that's being used was done by Halal II at about this his calculations were done without a computer. Pretty incredible. And I'm not here to defend it. I'm here to tell you that there's two reasons why I keep the same calendar. Here's the first reason. calculations that he used were the same calculations that the Sanhedrin was using. Here. And there's one gentleman that kept every piece for over 30 years who was without sin. And he never stood up and said, whoa, 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 you're off a month. Trust me. I know. <laughs> I spent I know, you think I hung the mood. I did! <laughs> he never did that. But I don't believe he never said that because the calendar was correct. I believe he didn't say anything about it because he was demonstrating to all of us that we need to remain under biblical authority and we need to not take the jobs that are not ours. Trust me. There's enough Torah to go around for all of us to be real busy with the work of being righteous. It was the job of the leadership. It's a y'all thing, not a you thing. It always has been, and it always will be. And he demonstrated that unity, second point, unity is more important than anything else. David asked me on the phone, my wife's probably going to cook dinner. Is there anything you won't eat? Well, like Paul, I was ready to say, I'll eat anything. And I think I did say that, which is pretty much what Paul said. Did Paul mean that he would eat broken glass? Did Paul mean that he would eat shredded pork barbecue? But David was more concerned about this whole separation. You know, like, you know separating the meat and the dairy, you know, and the kosher meat, and out of the signature and the stamp, and this, they have you know, and then the, you know, the, the oven wasn't, you know, koshered, and you know, how with the temperature, and did it touch this? And I'll eat anything you make. Because unity is more important than anything. This morning, I think I told you about Greg Upham and how he is over the top with the whole separation thing. I mean, yeah. And. Rick, doesn't separate at all. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a happy medium kind of guy. You know, we separate red meat, red meat and dairy. But when any of us go over in anybody else's house, it doesn't matter. It's kosher. 
it's a separation thing is going to separate us from a fellowship perspective, then we need to go back and read Paul. Because that's exactly what he said. You go to a Gentile's house, the meat might be sacrificed to idols, which is a sin. Eat the meat, guys. Eat the meat. One of my sons-in-law is convinced that he should eat kosher meat. By that I mean with the steak. Right or wrong, if he's going over somebody's house and they're having meat, he's not going to ask. He's going to eat it. That, to me, is wisdom. That is unity. That is what the master demonstrated. So there's a lot of talk about the calendar, and there has been for quite some time. I think you, you said it earlier. Whatever the nation's doing is what I want to do. Because the question about who I'm joined to has already been decided. I'm to be joined to greater Israel. Now, Pete doesn't like that term because it's not biblical. It's not defined. So I say greater Israel. And it's too wishy-washy for Pete. So he wants me to define it. Actually, he's never asked me to define it. He just makes fun of me when I use it. <laughs> greater Israel, in my book, is what anybody thinks a Jew would do. I walked into one of your stores. A Canadian woman thought I was Jewish. I was. It wasn't. It wasn't a grocery store. What? It wasn't Canadian. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Why did she think that? Because Jews wear kippas. Greater Israel wears kippas. When is Greater Israel practicing Passover? Do you want to be identified with them or with a rebellious group? That's not part of them. I, I think the answer should be obvious to us. Because I don't think it comes down to right or wrong. It comes down to whose people are you? And who have you joined yourself to? So that's where we're at. So Pesach, we practice in our home and we have a Seder. And I believe, oh yes ma'am. I'm ready. Um, so, do we know if they were spotting the moon during the time of the side? Mm-hmm. So they were spotting the moon? Yeah, not only were they, but... Uh, it's funny, I walk over here like, it's, it's this period of time I have to... <laughs> 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 I put this over there. And, uh, when I went to Israel with first Zanzi, they brought us to the corner of the Temple Mount where a, a piece of rock had come off, and... Here was etched in the stone, the in Hebrew, where the guy would stand to sight the moon, and and that's what that was. So they did that on a regular basis. You bet. And the Talmud uh, indicates that they had pictures of what the moon looked like. It's not only just a sliver. It's not always like this. Sometimes like this. Sometimes like this. Sometimes like this. Sometimes it's up here. They knew. So they got to get two witnesses to the moon. So the guy comes in and saw the moon. Here's nine pictures. Which one did it look like? Uh, that one. Thanks for coming. <laughs> what do we have for losers? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the second question is, is um, well, more of an observation is, we were speaking to a, a Jewish man, and he says that they still spot the new moon. The rabbis still look for the moon in Israel. 
and they adjust in Berlin, they adjust their calendars accordingly. So from my understanding what you were sharing with us is basically the calendar is only because we're diaspora. But in the land, they still do it according to scripture, spot the moon and, and do that. Certain, certain communities in Israel will do that because they are in the land and they have an authority structure over the people that they get. And that's, that's really cool. But we need to remember that if you go talk to these people, and I've had rabbis in my home to talk about it, these communities that do that are only going one day in order to wait. Never a month. Ever. They never bump it and go, oh, no, no, it's the wrong month. They never do that. They'll go, all right, now we don't have 29 days. We're going to go to the 30th day. Which is why in the diaspora, originally, they gave them two days. So that you would not miss the commandment. Two days. And that's why even today, in the diaspora, in America at least, all the Jews celebrate even Passover. Two nights. Because we're in the diaspora. As a throwback to the days when you had to, because you couldn't do it. And then just one final question. So your family, when you celebrate Rosh Kodesh, do you celebrate it according to the calendar, or do you actually look at the moon to see where it's at? We will, as part of the uh, uh, sanctification of the moon, yeah. the sanctification of the moon is actually done two weeks later. It's never done at the beginning, because you can only see a sliver. You do it at least after the first Shabbat from the new moon. So it's at least going to be the 7th or 8th. So you've got a good hunk of moon to look at. And that's when you do the blessings. And thank God for giving you another month. Whereas in the Shabbat service, the, the chazan will stand up, and it's, it's in the sitter, and he will say, the new month, Elul, is coming to us on the third day of the week for us and for all Israel, for our good and for his pleasure. Amen. And then, now that the congregation knows it's the third day of the week, they repeat the same thing. So, nobody even who is asleep should miss the fact that Rosh Kodesh is the third day of this coming week. Because there's different prayers that you want to do on that day. But the actual sanctification of the moon is not on that day. And we're not going outside. We already know it's on the third day. And it's been that way even before the time of the Master. So we don't go outside to do that, but right be if you look at the, the sitter, right before Havdalah on 681, I think it's 681, um, 682? 18. 618. This X-Lick? Yeah. Um, so 618, so 617, 616, that kind of thing, has, has the uh, sanctification of the moon right there. Because you'll do it at Havdalah. Right before Abdallah, get the family outside. Sometimes it's amazingly cold. Does everybody see the moon? Good. Let's let's go inside to do this. You know that kind of deal. And we sanctify the moon. Um, I like being able to shoot an email to my rabbi friends in Israel, to my rabbi friends in Charlotte. I call them my friends, but I don't know if they would call me their friend. <laughs> but I like to shoot them a note, say, "Hey, happy Rosh Kodesh." And, and do that thing. I want them to know that we are a part of Israel. We are we are a part of what they are doing, and we're joined to them. And we're not going to be the newcomers and go. I think you got it wrong. Close, Rabbi. Close. 
it, to me, it's, it's, it's just so... Now, don't think that I'm coming at you with the hands up, but don't we do that? We don't do catch the rope. Oh, okay. Right, so don't we, don't we actually kind of do that? No, I, I definitely think for those that do, and many, many, many do not. In fact, the modern Orthodox rabbis that I know are aghast that that's actually okay. started. Oh, okay. started. Cut road for those of you who don't know, is cutting the chicken's heads off and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I'll call them on that. Okay. I'll argue that one. Because right. of the biblical nature. Why are you killing an animal that has anything whatsoever to do with a sacrifice, an atonement, or anything like that, when the scripture has already made it clear how to do that? I'm just curious, and I would say to you, you know, you know me now. I'm just trying to be obedient, and I'm doing nothing but reading, besides the Tanakh, I'm reading your sages. And your sages, the old ones, would be aghast that you guys are doing that. Why are you doing that? And like I said, I don't know any that do. Here. Um, there. But you bet. From a biblical perspective, I think you've got a good leg to stand on to argue that. You know, even from the Talmud, you can do well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, so, real quick on each, on each festival. Pesach, we have a Seder in our home. I wrote the Haggadah. We've been through like 13 of them, looking at how to do it, which one's best. We had one from Maxwell House Coffee, by the way. And they actually produced their own Haggadah back when I was a kid. Um, I still have it. It's, it was great. Um, a little too stiff for me. Um, we put in Messiah Yeshua everywhere we can, and people are over the top of it. Um, that's available for you online if you want to play with ours. Um, my wife also put together a prep guide to help you with the meals and what meals to cook and why she chose those. Um, we've also got a prep guide for the family and the girls and the dads and everybody around the house, house cleaning. And but by the way, the whole concept of spring cleaning comes from Pesach and getting the leaven in. Um, unleavened bread, man, can you do some magic with matzah? Matzah bagels, matzah pizza, but matzah bread, yeah, you know, so lots of jams and jellies, and you know, all the pasta's gone. So for an Italian family, it's a little tough. But you know, we're, we're using the olive oil and everything like that. When, uh, when that's done, and we, we like the onion stuff and the garlic, and my wife's not too much into it, but we like it, and it's kind of tasty, more than dust. <laughs> <laughs> then, like I said, at the end of that, we normally would go out to dinner in an Italian restaurant and get a lot of big, fluffy white bread, slather that with butter and olive oil. Um, I have not yet managed a single Sukkot I mean, uh, Shavuot, where we have remembered to count every single day, counting the Omer. I, I think it's, it's Hasatan. I, I am convinced it's spiritual warfare, um, and I'm hoping that this year will be different. Uh, but I invariably miss a day and just forget that I should be counting. And if I just would do more of the prayers and get, get an understanding of what the sages were doing to try and help tie those together, uh, there's some great spiritual truths as to why Pesach and Shavuot are connected. And they need to be. They really do. Because the coming of, of the living Torah, 
not the Spirit, the coming of the living Torah and the celebration of His Advent is what all is what Shavuot is all about. All about. The Spirit was just to tell us, hey, something's going on. Same's there, right? So they need to be connected. If you understand Pesach, then you want to connect it and understand Shavuot. Can you comment on, on your understanding? I know that there's um, sort of two different ideas with regards to counting. Um, when to start the counting. <laughs> okay. Um, if you can just... Real quick. What's your understanding? Yes. By the way, before we get off the calendar, I don't really care which calendar you keep. I, I just assume you may be looking at the other calendars. I think it's great to look. I think it's better to be in unity. I really um, But God bless you for checking out. And, and I've got family members who've done the same thing and looked at it. And even in our own community. Um, oh, I, I, I promise you I'd mentioned how long have I been talking? Long time. A long time. <laughs> right, I'll do this real quick and then I'll stop. But we had a, we had a, somebody asked about our fellowship. Do we ever have a, a split or a schism or did somebody leave? Did, was it you? Somebody else. You? Um, we had a couple leave. We had a couple leave. We had two couples leave. One couple left because they didn't think that we were using Yeshua's name often enough. And our witness was not strong enough because... Orthodox Jews were comfortable being in my home. Now, the couple that left has absolutely no witness whatsoever with Orthodox Jews and has never attempted to share Messiah where I have actually done so. So I think we're doing okay. Um, the second one left, they didn't really leave, but I've made it clear to the men that this gentleman cannot come up and read from the Torah. He will never be called up to read. Because he's made it clear to several of the men, sort of in passing, he doesn't believe that Yeshua is God. That's big for me. If he's not God, you're not saved. We are without hope. He's got to be raised from the dead. Same body. These are fundamentals of our faith. If he believes that, we need to talk. If he, if he wants to discuss and bring up points during the portion discussion, I would challenge him and not let him speak. I would say, whoa, 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 time. Love to hear from everybody. But you've specifically made it clear that you believe something that no one in this room believes. And until we get that square, I really don't think that we can deal with any commentary that you might want to bring. Sorry. Now, that's one of the reasons why I'm the mouth for the group. Because I'm willing to say it. If you want to get upset, you're upset with me. You know, I can take it. I carry it <laughs> now we're in Canada. <laughs> Not in Canada, though, I've noticed. Sorry about that. Yeah, so funny. Yeah. It was a really cool guy. Uh, okay, so we've got the, uh, the Pharisees, <coughs> Sadducees, and I can never spell that, so I'm going to guess if that's correct. And then the. Um, See, did you mean? Uh, it seems. Yeah, it seems, thank you. Uh, scenes. I think that's right, but we'll fake it if it's not. And I'm including them in, in whatever that Qumran community would be, just by name. Um, these guys said 15th, the very next day, because this is a Shabbat. 
Tim Hank brings up Joshua chapter 5 as proof text that that's obviously got to be the way it is because on the day after the Passover, they ate the fruit of the land. They're not allowed to eat the fruit of the land. Uh, I don't think the question was heard by everybody. I'm sorry. Yeah. The question was, when you're counting from Passover to Shavuot, when do you start counting? It says the day after the Sabbath. And it says in the scriptures, Leviticus chapter 23, the day after the Sabbath you shall count seven weeks. Seven sevens. Seven by seven is 49. So this is a Shabbat. Or a Shabbos, if you're in the Ashkenazi <laughs> <laughs> so the day after would be the 16th, and therefore we count 50 days to something in Sivan, and I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's always the same day. So I thought that was the right way to do it. Rick Spurlock was doing it this way that year. The Sadducees say it's 15th, and then you've got the weekly Shabbat. And we've all, we've all realized and done the math to realize that if you have a seven-day festival, there's always going to be a Shabbat in the middle, right? Nobody can do that with no help. Okay. So from the weekly Shabbat, they count, which means that it's always on a Sunday. Yeah, you, should probably, you should probably circle Sunday to, to be consistent. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> They always bring for those kind of Because <laughs> they start counting from Sunday. That's right, so they yeah. start counting from Sunday. Okay. So, you're right, topic. you're exactly right. So, because the 15th is a Shabbat, they count from the next day, like it says in the scripture, so they count on the 16th. Because the 15th has a Shabbat in its Sunday, they wait for the weekly Shabbat, and then the next day, which is Sunday, they start counting, and they're always going to be like part week, late, always. So I'm doing the math and thinking, well, it should be this way. And that year, I called up Rick and said, would you like to come over for a shovel wood? And he said, sure. And he never showed. <laughs> I called him up, where are you? Me, where am I? I'm in Arizona. What are you doing in Arizona? I'm flying. He's, a, he's an airline flight. I thought you guys were coming over to dinner. <laughs> I thought you said it was on Shavuot. <laughs> Can you see? Yeah. The comical thing is, the following year, I am reading the scriptures again, and I realize, you know, that's probably right. Because this way, you don't know what the date's going to be. It will fluctuate. That makes more sense to me. Here, I always know it's whatever, the ninth of Sivan or whatever it is. Somebody did math. It's there. And it, well, if I know the date, how come he didn't just tell me? If it's always the same day, why didn't he just say so? He told me the 14th of Nisan was Passover, 9th of Sivan. So I look at this and I go, that fox was right. <laughs> <laughs> so we did it that way. I see him a couple of Shabbats beforehand, and he, he says, uh, by the way, you were right. <laughs> I said, about what? And he said, uh, the way the Pharisees were counting was right. <laughs> well, the following year, I taught on unity. 
<laughs> and said, you know what? This is stupid. We're acting like Gentiles. We always want to do what's right in our own eyes. Where do we read that? In the book of Judges. Over and over again. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What does this mean? They're not looking to a biblical authority. They're trying to do it themselves. And in this week's portion, we get the same admonition that we should not do what is right in our own eyes. In Re'eh. You guys do the portion discussion, right? So you see that there's a lot in this portion. And this is the kind of stuff that we would be going over uh, if our community were getting together. All right, so comedy's almost done, but the scenes, they're great. Starts on the 15th. They know that there's a weekly Shabbat, but they want to wait till after the whole week is over. Has nothing to do with the holiday of unleavened bread. So we wait till unleavened bread is over, whenever that may be, and they count from the weekly Shabbat <coughs> after unleavened bread. And they will count, to be consistent, thank you, son, from the Sunday, the next day after that. This puts them exactly one week after the bozos that are counting it that way. <laughs> How do I know which one to keep? Because I want to be obedient. I like to greater Israel. How do I know they're right? Personally, I don't care, because I want to be counted with them. But I do have some reasons. And they're, they're back to the same kind of counting. First, the master did this one. Who's in charge of the temple, the master's day? I'm sorry? Did you say the Sadducees? I'm going to give you a gift before I leave today. That's an outstanding answer. I think you're the only one I heard say. Yes, the Sadducees were in charge of the temple. The Pharisees were the players doing all the work. The Sadducees owned the temple. They ran it all. Except for one thing, that the Pharisees would never allow them to touch. The calendar. So, the master kept the Pharisaical calendar, which is the one that's turned into the rabbinical calendar. He kept this one. Again, he didn't sin, we know that for a fact, but he also didn't argue the point. This leads me to believe that it's the correct calendar. But I think for the sake of unity, it doesn't necessarily have to be. So I don't think there's a secular there. These guys disappeared off the face of the planet once the, Torah, once the temple was destroyed. Gone. So their whole way kind of went by the wayside. Who picked up from these guys later on? Yeah, the Karens. They're the modern day Sadducees. And once again, we've got this schism between the two. Again, I would ask you, which one, with which group did the master align himself most? Yeah, I know we, we, we love to ding on the Pushim, we love to ding on the Pharisees and say, those dastardly Pharisees, they've actually crucified my Lord. Well, that's true. Sort of. It actually wasn't then. And I think the scriptures will bear out that during this illegal trial in the middle of the night, these guys left. They didn't want to make them do it. It was these guys. So, that's those guys. These guys, they left jars. 
Exactly. They did not uh, do the fixing of their uh, thing to bump in the extra month periodically, and their stuff is moving all over the place. These guys also did sacrifice in the desert, outside, away from the temple. So, you know, I got a lot of things on these guys, so I don't really want to follow those guys. So, I've done these first two personally, and now we follow Greater Israel, and there is unity in our community. And we got a couple of folks that would rather take a look at the Catholic County. That's fine. They just know when our community is going to meet. Like I said, I mean, it's nothing to part company with. It's nothing to break fellowship with. Right. Their stuff is almost always going to be a month off. <clears throat> in this kind of town, it'll be a week late. But they know when our community meets, and they're there. I like that. That's that's the deal on the spring feasts. Um, Yom Teruah, we blow the shofar. It's like 120 blasts or something, and it's a mitzvah to hear the sound of the shofar. Our community goes down to a local park. I rent it beforehand. Yes, I have to pay for it ahead of time. Yes, I do bring wine. Yes, I do have to pay a liquor license fee of 50 bucks to have $2 of wine. But it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet there at about 11.30, 12 o'clock. And we start with Oneg. And it's like Oneg on steroids. <laughs> Probably Stone Egg. You know? It's great. After we're done eating on these large stone tables out of a, out of a Narnia movie, <laughs> we then do makeup prayers. Those are the afternoon prayers. And we do the makeup prayers. And leading up to the makeup prayers is the uh, Tashlik portion. Tashlik means to cast or to toss. And it comes directly from the scripture, which says in the prophet that he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea and he will remember them no more. Now, this is an incredible promise from the king of the universe to not only blot out my sins and their subsequent uh, penalty, but also he's got a divine attribute of forgetfulness. You can forgive, but do you really forget? God chooses to forget. I mean, he's God. That means he doesn't forget by definition. But he chooses to forget. I wonder if he can, like, unforget. <laughs> anyway, so... I, I go to Lowe's and I get a bag of rocks. And I have them there. And we wear like normal pants. And after the service, which in which we also blow the shofar, by the way, the greatest shofar blower in our community is not me. It's my son, my daughter's mother-in-law. She's an elderly woman. She must be 65 years old, gray hair, a little tiny woman. She has such a beautiful tone in her shofar. Now, I can't hold a note longer than she can, but I've got bigger lungs than she can. But the tone of her, oh, it's, it's extraordinary. So anyway, we, we have a little shofar contest. You know, first of all, we'll do the, you know, right out of the sitter. You know, I do the whole deal. And sometimes we just do it like that with a big mic, which is <laughs> <laughs> 
when that's all done, we have a little shofar contest, so you can hold a note the longest. That's that's cool. And then we go through the rest of the Tashlik prayers, which talk about God's character and his willingness to forgive. And then we're done. I make it clear. This is a somber time, and it's a great teaching tool for the kids. You teach a little kid. We're going to talk about your sin now. Take a rock for every sin that God brings to your mind. And you got this five-year-old boy grabbing 30, 40 rocks, you know, and putting them in his pockets. Walks down hand-in-hand hand with his dad to the water's edge. They pray together. They cry together. The little kid's taking each, each sin, naming it, putting it on the rock, tossing it in the water. It's unbelievable. It is a personal time of cleansing, reflection, introspection, and new beginning. And traditionally, you come back from the water's edge with your pockets pulled out to indicate that you have rid yourself of this sin. And then we sit down and we joke around and drink some wine and tell stories and sing songs and everybody clears the tables out of the way and we start to dance and it's a great time. Several years ago, we did exactly what I just described. It was before a lot of the guys got their shofarim, and uh, I was the only yo-yo there with a shofar. So I did the... And the bushes parted, and a Jewish family walked out. And they were, they were not observant Jews. And their eyes are all wide. We heard the shofar, so we came. Some of the women in the community just rushed up and grabbed it. Oh, come sit down, dear. Come sit down. Sat down at the stone table and did business. I couldn't make up stories for this. This is the 27th of Av, and the last month of the year is Elul, and it starts next week. And during the month of Elul, the sages, by tradition, blow the shofar on Erev Shabbat, before Shabbat begins, before lighting the candles, and then every single morning, except on Shabbat. And it's a call to repentance for everyone who hears the sound. You want to wake your neighbors up at <laughs> 6 in the morning. <laughs> I mean, it's right there in the sitter. It tells you exactly when to do it. I'm doing the morning prayers, and I'm davening, and i got my tefillin on, you know, and I look as bizarre as can be. You know, you got the old ladies that are always walking by, doing their walk before they go off to work, and they're looking between the sides of the fence, and, you know, you can see them talking back, oh, he's back out there. <laughs> and then you can see, I mean, you don't think I can see him, you know. And they, and they stop. And I, hey. It's the, it's the pitch of night. I mean, you know, it's barely sun coming up, and there's no noise yet from the traffic, and I can hear them whispering across the yard. <laughs> I think he's going to blow that horn again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like talking into the show. Ladies, I can hear them. <laughs> but it is a call to repentance, so it can be a, a wonderful time. Um, on Pesach, the day before, when we clean out the leaven, we, we put it overnight, 
and leave the leaven in, a, in you know, it's just breadcrumbs that my, my children have put around. And Peter and I have gone around with a little candle, you know, on the um, turkey baster and uh, <laughs> dustpan, or no, his envelope. And it was done, the envelope, you know, and put it out on the porch <clears throat> overnight. So the next morning, you're supposed to burn it. Well, I gotta tell you, I don't have napalm, but and kerosene's okay. But you try some gasoline with some of those campfire stick things, man, <laughs> I tell you. Oh, sin's gone now. Yeah. Hello, Bill. Burning the love again, are you, Joe? Yeah. The labors love it. You know, sometimes, you know, it's like fireworks on the 4th of July. You know, they went, let's get the kids, they're going to burn 11 again, you know. It's great. But it's a testimony. It's a testimony. It's neat. Because invariably, no, it's normally they do it to my wife. Because the, the guy, he doesn't care. Because he's not the leader in this home. He's not the spiritual leader of this family. He doesn't care. But the wife does. And they're more spiritually sensitive than we are. So the wife will turn to my wife and say, and I forgot what. Why are we doing this? My wife always tells me later. She didn't say why are you doing it. Why are we doing this? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. That's Pesach. Shavuot. Uh, I felt like we were in the fall feast. Fall feast. I said it went back for the fire. Oh. Um, <clears throat> then we had uh, Yom Tovah, Yom Kippur, Yom Hakipurim. Um, the scripture says that God, when Messiah returns, will turn the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth from days of mourning and lament into joy and I think dancing or something like that. They're not in the Torah. They're in Zechariah. These are called the minor feasts, minor fast days. How many of you do them? One, two. I want to encourage you to do this. Here's why. Those four days that you're going to be turning from mourning and lament into joy and dancing, not in your life. Because they aren't days of mourning and lament for you but they are for his people. Make you feel bad? You should try it. It's an easy fast. Sun up to sundown. Nothing to it. Have your coffee, have breakfast before the sun comes up. It's a, it's a walk in the park. Dinner as soon as the sun goes down. You can do it. But spend, spend lunchtime, instead of munching on a sandwich, spend it praying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the coming of Messiah. You got four days where you can do it, and you might even be able to get off from work. It's a great deal. But you join yourself to greater Israel because nobody does those little minor guys except people that are serious about their faith. And I would submit that you're serious about your faith. Look, it's a Saturday afternoon. It's beautiful outside, and you guys are stuck in a garage with me. <laughs> you're obviously serious about your faith, or you're stupid. <laughs> So they're easy days. Now here's what I do. Yes, I drink water. I just skip lunch. <laughs> sometimes I don't get up early enough to have breakfast. And sometimes my wife is going to make dinner long after, you know, that kind of thing. But I would, I would strongly suggest you do it. 
However, Yom HaKippurim, which is not up there anymore, is a commanded fast. And I would assume that you're doing that. That's not an easy fast. That's a hard fast. And it starts the night before. And it's 25 hours, just like Shabbat. Oh, ma. And if you like drinking coffee and don't have it for that length of time, we talked about that. <laughs> I want to run through a plate glass window. It's so <laughs> terrible. So I've cut back on my coffee in order to make it through Yom Kippur. Um, that's supposed to be a hard fast and no water. It took three years before I could get through it with no water. I mean, the time is clinging to the roof of my mouth. I can't speak anymore. I'm out. Yeah, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But I cannot take these four minor feet fasts and raise them in any way to the level of Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur is singular in, in the way it should be treated in the scripture. And I think that we need to be careful about that. I think it would be a testimony to others. Yom HaKippurim has nothing to do with salvation. And you're providing a covering for rocks. We need to provide atonement for the altar. Can an altar sin? And we can do that with no help. <laughs> it's a rock. This atonement is not salvific. It has nothing to do with salvation. It never did. And it never will. It's because we're here and there's death down here. It's as simple as that. Want to get into the Temple Mount? What do you got to go through? Water. I got to go through water. I got to go through the mikvah. To get to the Temple Mount, I've got to go through the mikvah in order to get there. Because I've got to be clean, not unclean. Have to be. If I come in contact with a dead body, I have to have the ashes of a red heifer thrown on me, and that's a weird deal. Eight days long, third day, seven day, you know, mikvah and all of that. It's not possible to do that. So we're all unclean. But if we want to physically approach, we need to be tahor, not tamim. Did I get that backwards? Don't know off the top, man. It's an honest answer. So, as long as there's no confusion about Yom Kippur, uh, then the last one, Sukkot. Your mileage may vary, but getting together as a group and going out to the woods and setting up some big tents, I'm not, I don't buy it. That's not what it says. You guys who live in the city, you guys who live at your house, put up a temporary structure, go sleep in it. Have your meals in it. Invite people over. That's what we're supposed to do. It's supposed to be a testimony and a remembrance for us. Going out to the woods and going camping is lovely. Nothing wrong with it. Not a sin. It ain't keeping Sukkot. I was actually invited to speak in Tennessee at a Sukkot conference. And he didn't use a Karite calendar, so it's at the same time I do Sukkot. So I struck, put on my Sukkot, and I went on day two, and I taught for two days with one of my daughters. And then I came home. But the Sukkot was up, my kids were sleeping in it, and we ate as many meals in it as we could. I believe that the scripture is clear on how to do it. And if you go to Israel, it's amazing. McDonald's puts a sukkah next to McDonald's. 
It's, I mean, it's astonishing. The whole place is doing Sukkot. It's astonishing. You got a guy who lives in an apartment the size of a shoebox, and he's putting drapes and bamboo poles out on, you know, out the window thing, so he can build himself even the smallest little sukkah, you know, wave to people. It's amazing, but they just want to be obedient. The landscape changes because they want to take what is normally permanent and be reminded of contemporary time in the wilderness. Because that's what God can make. So I don't have any problem with the community going to the, you know, how for Sukkot and all of that. But I think each individual should still build a sukkah in their backyard and invite the neighbors. Hello, Bill. Yeah, no, bring the beer. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to sit in here and have a chat with you. You're not going to talk about religion again, are you, Joe? No, no. Uh, just want to show you my sukkah. What's a sukkah? Well, actually, really, Bill, what do you think? <laughs> Notice that you can see the sky through it. He goes, yeah, it's a pretty crummy tent. <laughs> You're not sleeping out here, right? Well, the kids are. I don't do that anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> so what's this? Well, the kids are bringing out food, so we can have a little bite to eat. Why are you doing this? It's God told me to. God told you to sit out here outside with me. He told me I could get anybody I could, and you were the nearest one. Have <laughs> you got another beer, Bill? <laughs> I'm just a regular guy trying to be obedient. And I think if we approach our faith in the same way, we're going to get a lot less pushback from folks that think that we're saying we're better than them. Or if there's anybody on the planet that knows we're not better than them, it's us. In fact, we're probably worse than them. We've just admitted it. And they have. Final question. Sorry I talked too long again. No. Nothing. I would pray again, but it's a habit. Sure. <laughs> Avina Mulcano, our Father and our King, we thank you that you have preordained the times and seasons that they might bring glory to you. You found your people coming together in unity that they might meet with you. I pray, Father, that we would have that same sense of unity, that we would come together and meet with you and that you would find us there faithfully at each time that you've commanded us to come. Father, I pray that uh, for each family represented here, that you would allow them the time to wrestle with these issues of obedience and that in the end, their heart's desire and the end result would be that our Messiah, Yeshua, would be lifted up and glorified and that others would come to know him and that our obedience would cause you to stop the clock and send him back. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.